good morning. I want to greet each one in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. This morning I felt led to answer a question that was asked to me a number of months ago by someone, not here at Salem, but someone who grew up in a non-Christian home, did not really know the Bible, became a Christian as a teenager, and I don't know where all, what all churches this person was in, but he asked me the question, or made the statement about struggling with the idea that infants, little children, stillborn children, not ending up in heaven. And I'll admit that before he asked that question, I hadn't really thought of it. I guess it's not something I've struggled with, but I'm bringing this message in case there are those of you here this morning that are struggling with this, especially if you've um, lost a child at a young age or even had miscarriages. And maybe Satan has tried to discourage you with the idea of where is that child, where is that infant today. Maybe even if you have a handicapped child this morning, how does God view someone who I believe is not really responsible necessarily spiritually? Are they going to end up in heaven or are they doomed to hell because they can't truly accept Christ in their life? And so I want to look at that this morning. We think about it, there have been billions of children who have been stillborn in world history. There were probably over a million children killed in the Holocaust. There have been 50 plus million killed uh, in the last 70 years in America through abortion. Does God condemn them to hell just because they were unfortunate enough to not make it to adulthood? We need to be careful not to look at it emotionally in the sense that, well, that wouldn't be nice. That wouldn't be fair. Because we recognize that if we start viewing truth, right and wrong, through that lens, it will get us into very bad places of universalism where, well, how could God condemn anyone, right? How could God God condemn someone who was born in a bad situation and couldn't help it. So I don't want to look at it in that way this morning, but to look at it from a biblical worldview. How does God view those who die before they can make a a decision to follow him? There are different issues that we can, different ways to look at this. But I want to start with the baseline point of do we as humans have an eternal soul? There are many today that in the world who don't believe that. They believe that only the life here that you see, the body you see, is all that exists. When we die, that's it. 
or they believe in this reincarnation system where and and you could say well that's just over in India and some of those places but it's even creeping into the western culture western world where people believe that they die but then they'll come back again and have another opportunity but this, these are not biblical positions and we need to be careful that we don't let it slip into our theology our thinking but the first question is do we as humans have an eternal soul that lasts beyond our bodies here on earth because if we don't have a soul then it really doesn't this question really doesn't matter about what happens to infants and small children. But the Bible does say, and I'm not going to look at all of them today, the, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. But in at least six different places, the Bible speaks of the fact that even though our bodies are not immortal, we are. And so what is immortal if our bodies are not immortal? What is immortal? I'm going to read a verse while you're still finding that. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 52 and 53. 1 Peter 3, 4 says, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Whenever the Bible speaks of the corruptible, incorruptible, it's also speaking of something being mortal or immortal. Let's read verses 52 and 53. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, which is mortal, the mortal body that we see, must put on incorruption or put on immortality. For this mortal must put on immortality. And I'm, I could go further, but I'm, I'm just going to stop there. The Bible is clear that there's a part of us that will outlast this body, that will even outlast this earth that we live on. We recognize that our bodies rot and decay very quickly once there's no life in the body. And for those who believe that there is no soul, there is very little hope in this life. But, but, but thankfully, we, we as believers, when we look in God's word, we recognize that there's something more. There's something more to us than just our physical bodies. And that, that gives us hope. The world around us can look at a life, that's, especially a life that's taken at a young age or even maybe a teenager, dies of cancer, and if all that there was hope for was, was in this world, how sad would that be? It would seem so unfair, so unkind. And it does. In our human thinking, it still does. But when we recognize that there is a soul there, that this life is such a little dot on the long line of history of us being eternal beings, I believe that gives us a hope for something more, something better. And that comes through God, that comes through his son, Jesus Christ. 
So we, if we establish this, the, the fact that, that, we are, that we have a human soul that is eternal, then we have to grapple with the idea of when did that begin? And maybe this is a little humorous, but I remember growing up this saying, I don't know how many of your parents used it, but the joke was, well, when did such and such happen before you were born? You were still over in Germany picking beans. How many heard that saying growing up? I I think it's a Mennonite thing, because I looked it up on Google, and Google had never heard of it. But do we exist before? Is our soul is our soul from the beginning to the end? I I don't find that in scripture. If you can find a verse that you believe says that, I'd love to hear, but I could not find it in my study. If we were that way, then we'd be just like God. God was always was and always will be, but we are not that way. Even though we always will be even beyond our life, our body here, there was a beginning, and that's what distinguishes us from God. We are created, we have a beginning, he has no beginning. He always was. So I'd like to turn to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. We could probably most of us say this by memory, but this idea of God always being John 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is the Word there speaking of Jesus. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so there is a difference between our eternity, or of us being eternal beings And God being eternal, but in the sense that he always was. He was not, there's no beginning with him. I also don't believe and don't see anywhere in scripture this idea that our souls are are somewhere waiting. And then when we are born, boom, our souls come here. I believe our souls begin at the beginning of life. So then the next question, the next debate is, when does that begin? And I'd like to turn to Psalms 139. I'm not going to take time to read the whole whole chapter, but I would encourage you to, if this is something that interests you or is a struggle for you, to read the the whole chapter. But we're going to just... Focus in on verses 13 through 17. For, though, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, And in thy book all my members were written, which in countenance was fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! 
There's different debates, and I found an article online when I was studying this yesterday that was very interesting, written from a um, scientist, but also a believer, so a Christian scientist, looking at this passage and thinking about when does our soul, when does that begin? There are people who claim it begins so many days in, or it begins so many months in, or those are... They don't believe that happens until birth. But verse 16 says, Yet being unperfect, in thy book all my members were written. And there's a time period when the cells from the father and the mother are just a clump of cells, but they have not formed a fetus yet. And I believe this verse indicates that at that point, Already, God has created a being. The cells are no longer a part of the father or the mother. They are put together and become a new soul, a new person. But yet that soul part of it is not done humanly. It's done by God. And that's where there's a soul connected to the fetus. To the, to the child being born in the womb. And so we see there, I believe, that you can't argue like the world wants to argue today that, well, it's not really a person, it's not a being until they're out of the womb or until they have some sense that they're a person. Some, that the child is already precious in God's sight at the moment of conception. Another passage I believe relates to this, we can look at in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. We have the familiar story here. After Mary has found out that she is going to bear Jesus, the Messiah, we don't know how long it is, could be a few days, it could be in a could have been a few weeks. But a short time after Jesus begins to grow in her womb, this ha- this story happens. Luke one verse beginning at verse thirty nine. And Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. I believe that... In the sense, both John the Baptist was a soul, was a person. How else could the Holy Spirit enter into that child? And also Jesus. Now, this was a different situation in the sense that his being didn't begin when the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary. That's not the beginning of Jesus because his 
exist and is different, that he's man and God both at the same time. But I believe this story proves that there's definitely, it's not until the birth when someone receives a soul. So we've established that. Now moving on, if a baby, an infant at conception has a soul, where will that soul end up if that person dies? We know that the Bible is clear. I'm not going to turn to that passage. The Bible is clear that there's no sin in heaven. So is there sin in an infant? You may say yes, you may say no, but how many of you believe that a child of six months old is sinless? For those of you that had children, there's, there's a will, there's a desire, and there's a definitely, at times, doing wrong. But is it the same as those of us, as adults, who sin? I don't believe it is. There's a point of they were born into sin. They were born with Adam's nature. And so, i.e., they, there's, there's sin there. But here's where the struggle comes for a lot of people in determining or where they come out on this issue. Do infants, do children, small children go to hell when they die? Is... Is there such a thing as a point of accountability? And I know I heard this at some point in my life. I don't remember where. I don't necessarily, I'm not saying it was here. But given the idea that, well, if the parents are believers, then the children will go to heaven and if the parents are not believers the children will not I don't remember where I heard that but I'm going to challenge that this morning and if you disagree with me please come to me afterwards I would enjoy discussing it further but if that's true then who is determining whether that infant is saved I believe at that point then the salvation is dependent upon a human rather than dependent upon Jesus Christ. And so I don't believe that the salvation of an infant is dependent upon the parents. Because if that was the case, then it would be taking away from Jesus Christ and his work to save someone. But this idea of there being a point of accountability, I'm going to use that term instead of age of accountability. I'm not condemning those who use the term age. But I think we need to be careful because it's easy for us to get an idea of a certain age. I'm just going to you know, throw out some numbers, 7, 9, 11, 12, whatever. And we, we get the idea, well, when a person reaches that age, no matter where they're at in their development emotionally, mentally, well, then they better become a Christian at that point or they're lost. But we also have children that are severely mentally handicapped. And I believe those, some of those will never reach the point of accountability. And so it's better to think of it as a point of accountability. Have they reached that point or not? 
And if we believe in this, then I also believe it's easier to understand how God and why God would save all infants to heaven. Another issue you run into when you look into this is those who believe in um, extreme tenets of Calvinism and believe that some people, that no matter what they do in life, they can never be saved, and others, almost nothing they can do to lose their salvation. They believe there are the elect, and then there are the lost. And if you believe that, then you're going to really struggle with this whole idea that all infants could go to heaven. Because if there's the elect, well, then there must be some infants that are elected to go to heaven, and there's some infants that are not. But for, for myself, I hope all of you here believe that each of us can be saved if we follow the Bible, repent, believe in God, we all can have the option to be saved. And so the idea that all children would be saved doesn't cause issues with my theology or where I come out on Scripture. But where do we get the idea? There's nowhere in the Bible that you can find the term age of accountability or point of accountability. So where do we get this idea? And I'm going to look at a couple of passages this morning. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. This is speaking of the time when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. And they have chosen not to go into the land of Canaan. They've only been out of Egypt for a few weeks, maybe a a month or two. And at this point, had they been ready to go into the land of Canaan and obey God, I believe they all could have gone in. But they didn't. They sent the spies. Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. The other ten gave a negative report and said, there's no way. And the majority of the children of Israel agreed with them. And so here we have uh, verse 38. I'll start with verse 38. But Joshua the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And so he was wanting the children of Israel to go in right then. But because they didn't, this is the response that God gives verse 39. Moreover, your little ones which ye said shall be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. All those that were above that point of accountability, who had a choice that knew right and wrong, would end up dying in the wilderness because of their unbelief. But all those who were under that point would see the promised land. And I believe that's a very strong passage for saying that God does distinguish between those who are able to believe and those that are too young to believe or incapable of it through their 
God-given mental capabilities, those that are extremely handicapped. That there is a difference. It does make a difference in God's eyes at what point we are. Another passage, Isaiah 7, 16 says, For though the child shall shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Once again, speaking of it, there is a point at which someone begins to know right from wrong, good and evil. And I don't think we need to figure that out. I don't think we need to figure out at what point that is. But to recognize that that there is that point. Turn with me to John chapter 8. I'm going to try to move through this last... What's left very quickly. I'm running out of time. But John chapter 8, verse 21 and 24. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he was speaking to those who thought they were following God were of the elites and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There was a reason they were going to die in their sins. And in verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So even though they were following the law, the Old Testament law, but because they refused to recognize their Messiah, that unbelief was going to lead them to die in their sins and so I believe there's a point at which the Holy Spirit begins to convict in the heart of a child and if that's the point at which they then become responsible for what decision they make it's true that like I said earlier all infants are born into sin they have a sinful nature but and because of that they will still die a physical death unless they either they're going to grow up into an adult or they're going to die a physical death there's no deliverance from that because they are born into a sinful flesh but I don't believe that they're going to die as the Bible talks about the second death because they've not reached that point where they have the capability to believe or to not believe in God Turn with me to Revelations chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Once again, I believe there's that, a point of accountability that before that, a person's works are not written in there. But once we reach that point in our lives, our deeds are going to be written down, good or bad. Our response to the Holy Spirit, to conviction in our life, is going to be written down.
There's a few of you here that grew up in the Amish upbringing. I'm not picking on the Amish, but I thought it. there's something I've heard over the years. And I think the reason I'm bringing this up, I think we need to be careful about putting this point of accountability too old or too young. That's why I believe we need to leave it up to God. But in the Amish, I know that there's situations where someone in their late teens was killed during their Rumasringa time when they're sowing their wild oats. They're in an accident or something happens and they're killed instantly with no opportunity to make things right with God. And I've not talked to any Amish bishops or ministers or any of that, but I've heard statements made by the Amish that that this person can still will still be able to go to heaven because they're not really responsible yet. And I think that idea is dangerous and needs to, we need to be careful that we don't give that idea to our children. Oh, don't worry about it. You know, God, God's not going to hold you responsible. I think that once we're old enough to know good and evil, to recognize who God is, at that point, we are responsible. The other, the other ditch, the other extreme is the way some Southern Baptists and other Protestant churches try to get very, very young children to say the sinner's prayer and to make a commitment to God at a very, very young age. I think well before they can truly understand what they're even doing. I don't believe that's healthy or God-honoring either. So what do you do if a young child? We know that some children come to parents at the age of six, seven, and their tender conscience has pricked them and they want to become a Christian. I believe that we should encourage them, teach them, and not say, oh, you're not ready. You don't know what you, you don't really know what you're, you're doing. I think we should encourage that, but also recognizing that they'll probably come to a point later in their life when they do have a greater understanding of their sin and of their need to believe in God. But it, we shouldn't just say, well, they said the sinner's prayer when they're five or six and now they're good to go. Because for many, they don't really understand. I remember, I'll, I'll give an example of my own life. I remember, I think I was 10 or 11 when I went to my parents' And first made a commitment. Did I have a complete understanding? No. And later in my life I would recommit myself to God. Make another point I think of repentance. For my life. For the sin that I committed. We don't need to worry I don't believe about the point of accountability. But to teach our children to recognize that once there is knowledge that they do need to make a commitment to Christ to be ready to die. The last passage I want to look at this morning is turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Getting back to my original question. Do, do infants go to heaven when they die? 2 Samuel 12, um, beginning at verse 15. This is the story of uh, 
David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba. David sinned. The result of that was a child. Verse 15, And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, and David perceived the child was dead, therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth, and washed and anointed himself, and changed his apparel, and came into the house of the Lord, and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then the servants said unto him, What is this thing that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And I don't see anywhere in Scripture that the Bible ever counters this saying that David was misunderstood the truth of the matter. But we find other scriptures simply to verify this idea. David understanding that even though the child was born in sin, that the parents were sinning when it happened, the child was going to heaven and that he could go and see the child there. He fasted, he wept, hoping that God would not judge the child for the, the sin of the parents, right? But once the child died, David recognized that there was hope in the sense that there would come a time that he could see that child again. And I was, as I was thinking of that as I was studying, I thought, you know, it's even ironic in a sense that of all of David's children, David's family was very messed up. Think of Absalom and some of the others that most likely are not in heaven today. But yet, I believe we can have confidence that this child is in heaven. And just as David had hope that he could see that child, I believe each one of us too can if we are obedient to Christ. We put our belief and faith in him we too can see those infants, those children that have gone on before us. And so, I hope this message was encouraging to those of you who have children in that situation. But what about if there are young people here today that have not made that Decision, but yet they feel the Holy Spirit pricking them. I'm not going to have an altar call this morning, but I encourage you to talk to one of the ministry, to talk to your parents. If you are to that point of accountability, don't ignore it. Don't reject it. 
because we know not the hour or the minute of when our time is done. But we can be sure that if we put our faith and belief in him, that we too can end our, or spend our eternity with him. I hope this message was encouraging to you, challenging. Like I said earlier, if there's something you disagree with me on, don't be afraid to come afterwards. Ask me about it. We can talk about it. I still don't feel like I have all the answers, but I believe what I shared this morning is biblical. Not just a message to tell you what you want to hear, but there's scripture that backs that up, that it's, that is the truth about where our children that die before the age of account, the point of accountability will end up. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. We think of those, Lord, that especially have lost children, lost infants, even in the womb, Lord. It can be a very, very difficult situation. And Lord, even though I can't relate personally, I pray you, Lord, you understand what they're going through. Give them peace. Give them grace. And I pray, Lord, that we recognize that we don't have to wonder where they're at. I pray, Lord, also for those that are reaching that point in their lives where you're calling them. I just pray that you would give them the strength and the courage to make a decision for you and to live faithfully for you. We just pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.